0: I recall Central Park in fall How you tore your dress, what a mess I confess, that's not all Say Ferris? Say Ferris? Save Ferris Bueller? What? Ferris Bueller! They say he's like, on the verge of death or something.
1: Oh, I heard he's sick! My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid who's going with the girl who saw Ferris pass out of 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious.
0: Well, a group of us are collecting money to buy Ferris Bueller a new kidney, and they run about 50 G's or so. So if you wouldn't mind helping out... Go piss up a flag. I'm sorry? You should be. What if you need a favor from Ferris Bueller someday? Then where will you be, huh? You heartless wench! If you'd like to help us save Ferris, join us at Ferris Bueller's Minute Off, only from DuelingGenre.com. Oh, he's very
1: popular, Red. Right? The Sportos and Motorheads. Geeks, sluts, bloods, waste toys, weebies, dickheads.
0: They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude.
1: Dueling Genre
0: Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the movie Spider-Man one resignation-forcing minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli.
1: <laughs> I'm Zach Luna. Hey, everybody. This is Brad Mendenhall. You may know me from such podcasts as Minute of Darkness, where we talk about the 1992 film Army of Darkness.
0: Yeah. Yes. Another Sam Raimi film. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Connecting we're, all the uh, worlds together. You
1: know, it's all coming together.
0: We're, we're uh, we're, we're, what, what is that? It's like, uh, Eskimo Brothers, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 we're like Eskimo Podcast Brothers. Yeah, sure. The podcast um, version of <laughs> Yeah. Uh so today we're talking about Minute 64, which starts with Norman saying, in short, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. and ends with uh Max uh say, the the bald uh wheelchair uh guy on mm-hmm. the board um saying uh, that they're announcing the sale after the World Unity Festival.
1: Yeah. Was I the only one that thought like incompetent Professor X when I see him? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> we, I, I think we brought up the 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 Professor X uh, comparison last time we saw him, which was mm. pff, what was that thirty minutes ago, something oh, yeah, like that, I, forty minutes ago, yeah. months. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, months ago. Uh, but okay, so this this starts off with. Um, Norman's saying that costs are down, revenues are up, uh, and stocks have never been higher. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's what happens. Okay. So what I love about this, this scene, um, as a plot point for the film is that Norman is so smug (laughs) (laughs) because he has, he has, uh, killed the people who were in charge of making the, Uh, exoskeleton deal and destroyed the exoskeleton yeah um as the goblin at quest aerospace so now they have no competition and he's like you know look like you know costs are down revenues are up stocks have never been higher we're at the top of our game guys this meeting is over am i right or am i right (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, and they're like, you are right, except that things are so good that we went ahead and are going to sell the business now because we don't think we're going to be ever be able to sell it at the, uh, height that it is right now. Um, (laughs) and I, I, I just love that the goblins plan, because I don't want to say it's Norman's plan because it kind of wasn't right. Mm. Um, or at least it was part of norman but not norman proper right and and so the goblins plan has absolutely completely backfired um (laughs) in just the absolute worst way imaginable uh because if they had lost the military deal i don't think norman would be out of 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 you know, his position or anything like that. Yeah. They would have found something else. They just would have had to move on to something else.
2: Yeah. They'd be like, all right, go back and innovate Norman. That's what you do. Well, like we got to start from scratch type of thing.
0: Right. And so now they're saying we're selling and uh, not only are we selling but uh Quest Aerospace doesn't want you involved because no one likes you, Norman. <laughs>
1: just just sort of Norman's not actually a, the greatest uh thinker or strategist of the Spider-Man bad guys. He he's he screws up quite a bit, doesn't really think things through. Well,
0: cause he has no it, it seems like he has no plan. He's just reacting to things. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Um and
0: that's always if you're trying to be a strategist, that's not strategy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so a bad bad idea bad idea uh, yeah, was i will say um looking at this scene mm-hmm. uh i think my favorite thing about this scene and uh and i'll talk about my least favorite thing about the scene as uh-huh. well but my favorite part of the scene is if you look around at the board and you've got like what is this uh about a dozen people yeah roughly yeah, um, dozen. yeah i think you've got uh what five on each side and then you've got uh, 11 at the head and then norman makes 12 so yeah so Spot you've on, got 12. <laughs> t- right. So you've got 12 people on the board, and 11 of them have coffee. <laughs> Norman doesn't have coffee. And what I love about that is that they're all in on the deal, and he's not getting it. Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. It, it, this was Especially something that because- happened. This was a plan that came up at Starbucks while everyone was in line. <laughs>
0: Right. Well, but it's it's like uh it's like a visual metaphor that Sam Raimi is doing. Yeah. Um and and, it, and it's and it's and it's not only a visual metaphor, but it's also kind of a subconscious metaphor because it's it's yeah. not something that you're going to, you know, internal you're you're going to internalize it, but you're not going to realize why you're feeling that way. Mhm. Because it's out-group. not it, right it's not it's not you know it's not like waving a flag it's just like okay let's give everyone you know a notebook and and an itinerary and coffee but Hmm. then Norman's spot will be empty yeah
2: it's a nice bit of design and and it's nice that it starts uh sort of under the radar and then builds to be a little more overt by the end of this minute and then You know, tomorrow at the end of the week, we'll talk about when they they really hit the nail on the head with the coffee thing. But like for now, it's just that slow progression of you just it just feels like you're not quite there yet. And then Mm -hmm. we'll focus more on the coffee later and then we'll really focus on it, uh, you know, the second minute. But this is like I never would have would have thought to phrase it that way if we hadn't been, uh, you know, picking this apart at this the second by second sort of level of detail
1: doing minute by minute podcast is a great way to really find all the minutia of the movies and learn how to stop loving it because you just get too deep into the film
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you have unpeeled the all of the petals off of the flower and then you're staring at the at the stem at the end no i still i still get excited by this movie even when we're uh going you know, half shards at a time through it. Uh, but it like you, you spot things. like a thing I think I noticed, you know, this this watch through for today uh, was this opening bit, which I guess we started in uh, yesterday's minute, but uh, have continued in through the introduction of the setting of Norman, like saying all this stuff about what's going on, the way that they frame it is that he's quite central in the frame at the beginning. And then we have this this nice camera move sort of sliding out away from him so that the longer Norman talks the smaller and smaller he becomes
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: in the physical frame. And then at the very end of this camera move, we reveal the head of the table, uh, 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 Mr. Um, What's his name? Uh, Dr. Henry Balkin, the guy with mm-hmm. the shock white hair, sort, right. of, sort of enters the frame, you know, surprisingly at the end. And suddenly he's so much bigger and looming than Norman. It's like a very simple visual, you know, uh, way to get that hierarchy across. But I like that it, it changes over the course of the shot. I think that's that's kind of kind of clever for such what could be like a boring scene. Generally speaking, I think that's yeah. a nice bit of flair.
0: <laughs> I, well, and it and it saves you from having to get just endless amounts of coverage. <laughs> yes <laughs> um like it's a really smart way to shoot this because you when you have this many people at the table mm-hmm. uh, you know it's uh it it's definitely it's definitely a good thing um to do a shot like this because it mm-hmm. i think it helps make it look a little more cinematic and not like uh an improv heavy sitcom yeah <laughs> um and uh and and yeah it looks it looks it looks good it's good and it and it's a long shot. I mean, it ends up being, what, like 17 seconds from beginning to end? Yeah,
1: um, yeah just about.
0: Something like that? Well, it's so. it
1: just lets you – I mean, William Defoe's acting the heck out of this scene. Oh, uh, no, for mm-hmm. sure. And first off, he has one of the most expressive faces that you're going to find, and him going through all these emotions, and then you just have everyone standing around – I mean, sitting around, and they're all very stoic, and they're very calm, and uh, – Balkan, uh, you referred to, you know, he's just, he's just, he's just sipping his coffee and he's very calm. There's, and no one's reacting to all these crazy emotions that Norman is going through in this scene because he really is, uh, he's touching upon all the emotions of the uh, stages of grief because there's like arguing, bargaining and everything. Uh, And I I, got to imagine that's intentional. Perhaps I do this too much. I believe everything Sam Raimi does is intentional and I could be way off on that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, everything, everything that a filmmaker does is intentional. Yeah, uh, it's a decision made on the day. It's not like there's like, well, we'll just point a camera and see what happens like that. That never is what happens, because mm-hmm. even that is a decision to a certain extent. Right. Um, But but uh, as far as uh, Will- Willem Dafoe in this scene, what I like about it is that he's flipping back and forth between norman and the goblin Mm -hmm. um that Mm -hmm. that line about uh about sacrifice (laughs) uh, is that's the goblin shouting that Mm -hmm. not norman Mm -hmm. um and you can you can you can hear it in the rage uh you know behind his voice when he says it it's it sounds like he starts to make that you know that goblin-y noise very similar to um when he's talking to Peter in the in his final scene yeah. um at the end of the movie uh that sort of thing where where there's a there's sort of a vocal battle between Norman and the goblin mm-hmm. happening um and i really i really like that as a as a performance choice mm-hmm. i think that doing it in a single shot while impressive to watch Because you're seeing him flip that switch, I think it does, for a lot of people, just play as overacting, Um, and Mm. and like like Defoe is go going from zero to sixty, and and it's not on purpose. That's he's just like you know not acting well or something, Um, and and that's unfortunate. I I I feel like. The, his performance would be better suited to have a cut between each time he switches. Um, yeah, like how
2: we play with the mirror scene later in the film. Right. Uh, how how right. much more effective that, that is here. I mean, he's doing great work. Yes. Uh, like, uh, bar none, no question there. It's just in terms of how do you frame it or how do you select, you know, which direction to go in? Because he's, he's great at what he does, but is it appropriate for this moment? Is it appropriate in this shot? Are Are the types of discussions that you have to have? Um, I, I think it's, it might be the fact that his, his more Normany moments that bookend this big a- explosion are, are so much more reserved. The contrast is so, so big there. The, you know, Max, please is so small. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, mm-hmm. like the little laugh, I, I started this company are so, so far in the other direction that when he does like blow up like that, it might seem bigger than it actually is. Uh,
1: Just by the contrast. Then,
2: Yeah, just by the contrast, like maybe if we had the same sort of take where he did the whole, uh, you know, emotional beat here as pretty heightened, still with that crescendo in the middle. But, you know, you can't do this to me already being a loaded phrase. I started this company being a loaded phrase and then peaking there and coming back down. But because he just does the big, deep up and down, it can, you know, be jarring in the moment. And that's, you know, a bit of a shame because I'm still just in awe of his skill no matter
0: what.
1: Well, one thing I find interesting, you mentioned the change of voice from Norman to uh, the Goblin. Also, yeah. he does something with his eyes where he he sort of almost like tilts forward and furrows his brow a little bit, and there's just a change of just his eyes look so different when he's Norman and when he's the Goblin. You see it in this yeah. scene. And uh, just the oh. DeFosso has something what I uh, what you see every now and then in uh, in movies where he's definitely not a classically good-looking actor, but he has something that uh, I sort of call interesting ugly, where <laughs> he's not a he's not a pretty guy. He's certainly not a Tom Cruise pretty boy, but his features are just very interesting. Uh, Steve Buscemi mm-hmm. I think is the poster child. It's not an attractive totally. poster, but Steve Buscemi is the poster child for this. Where no yeah, one would he... call Steve Buscemi good-looking, but he he has such an interesting look that it really catches your eye. And uh, right. Defoe has that as well. And but the way he can sort of shift his face and go from sort of kind eyes to like hard eyes um is is really pretty impressive and it works so well in the scene.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really does. I I think that my my biggest issue with this scene is that I I do not think that it's particularly well edited. Mm-hmm. Um I I think if I'm editing this scene, I'm taking the coverage and for for if 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 uh, you know for all i know they they shot this in 2 hours and did not have all the covers that they needed and just did what they could in the edit room sure. i don't know mm-hmm. but but let's say we had everything that we needed um all the options that are that are available here uh i would never cut to close ups of the board members never hmm. um hmm. i would only do close ups of norman and then i would do the whole board because it's them against him and right. even when single board members are speaking i wouldn't i would still cut to a group shot even if the group shot is kind of focused on the person talking it yeah. would always be a group shot never a close up because it it just doesn't communicate visually what they're trying to communicate here mm-hmm. and it ends up coming across um not quite as cinematic as I think it could.
1: Yeah. Well, is there also A the little TV <laughs> piggybacking on that thought? Is it also a thing where he sh- you shouldn't show Norman being sort of outplayed or outsmarted by any one particular board member? It should be the entire board had to sort of work together to oust him. Yeah. Because when I watch them, thing is like, hey, how did they how did they oust Norman? Shouldn't Norman be on top of his game? And when it seems like one when he has one on one conversations with um balkan or uh, you know incompetent professor x as i called him before the
2: (laughs) max vargas yeah yeah yeah
1: he seemed sort of beholden to them even when he was going sort of goblin they still didn't seem intimidated and perhaps that would have been more effective if it was the board so you didn't feel like oh these guys are sort of pushing goblin around not just norman
2: right right Right, the United Front would would feel less um, susceptible to intimidation to begin with, so it it wouldn't diminish his power when they don't, you know, uh, capitulate to him. I guess is a way to phrase it. Plus, it yeah, might make you, the, the bit with the coffee cup clearer when he, you know, starts lifting it and gesturing with it. Right, right. Yeah, and
0: and you you get a little bit of what Brad was talking about, um, with with him trying to sort of sideline with Max and be like, Max, please. And he's like, the board is unanimous as if to say, don't look at me, man. I voted you to get fired. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't care either. Um, and so the fact that the board was unanimous in this decision, uh, is a, you know, an 11 against one situation. And I wish that was being, uh, portrayed visually more than just at the beginning. Right. Um, right. Because the yeah. script, the scene on the
2: page works does exactly what it's trying to do, and and it's not as if the sequence in the film doesn't also, you know, do its job s- structurally in terms of the story we're telling. But that it it could have seemed like we could have matched the visual presentation a little bit better to the uh, the idea the the kernel at the center of the um, of the script function. I guess is 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 what I'm trying to say. That like yeah. it's not, we're not saying it doesn't work, but that it
0: it would work even it could better. work better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, um Oscorp.
0: I I I gotta say, uh wanting him to resign within thirty days <laughs> um prior to the sale happening is uh I mean that's that's gotta be illegal, right? <laughs> Pro- probably. I don't know. I, I mean know you can't you, see. <laughs> you Right. Well well because like they're basically saying like, we don't want you to be a part of this deal. So you need to resign before it happens. And so then he wouldn't be getting any money. He would just be resigning. Yes. That seems weird
1: to me. It is weird. You know, a lot of this stuff, the, the business side of this all seem pretty weak. However, I, I will say I, I've worked for a couple of startup companies. I know often there is stuff in the contract where, if you leave under certain circumstances or resign, you're, you're still sort of financially invested. I imagine Norman still has his stock. I bet there's some sort of thing where if he's voted out, he loses his stock options. But if he resigns, he's still on the board or he will still hold the figurehead position and mm-hmm. would still have the stock options. Uh, it's sort of They did the same thing with uh, – what was it? The show – uh, which one that Scott and I talked about on the Cosmic Geppetto podcast? <laughs> just get those little plugs in uh, Iron yeah. Fist, where uh, you know ah. Danny was the head of the the CEO of the company, but then he's mm. he's ousted. It's like, well, okay, wh- what does that mean? How is he ousted? And he still had his stock, and uh, they just barely touch upon it. But I guess just in the context of the reality we're talking about, it's like, oh yeah, he's he's ousted. How? It's like, don't worry, he's ousted. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's like he he still owns the company, but because there's a board of directors, he ha- he would have no creative input essentially.
1: Right, you you yeah. have the figurehead uh, position and they can sort of hold him hostage because oh, do you really want us to vote you out and then you'll get nothing as opposed to this is the sort of deal that would make you a rich man, but you're just going to have to shut up and not have any power. And I, you know, I guess you don't want to have too much business intrigue in this movie, <laughs> or they could go That's what into it kind that. Of my
2: Spider-Man films for is <laughs> the business intrigue. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's like going to the Star Wars well, movies yeah, well, and all the, the like, you know, Senate talk.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh I mean, I'll be honest, I you know, if you're going to give me a Norman Osborn movie, I do kind of want a little bit of business intrigue. That's fair, um, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh I I just it 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 this scene is um I mean, the, there's something in the next minute uh that redeems this scene in my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh but but uh, the scene as it, as it is, I just don't think it's quite, um, as good as I wish it was. Uh, and as good as I think it could be with very little change.
2: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, the, uh, yeah. the, um, one thing I did want to point out, cause I don't know if we'll have time to really talk about these two actors again after, after the end of this week. Cause I, th- I think they're not uh, around much oh, yeah, longer in the, t- in the text of the sure. film. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, is, um, just a quick bit on uh, that I do. I do like these two uh, other board members. So uh, Jack Betts plays Dr. Henry Balkin, the guy with the shock white hair. Um, and a, a thing I loved about him that I dug up while I was uh, looking up info for for this week. Uh, I mean, he he's one of those guys that has just been, you know, a character actor in lots of soaps and genre fare and police procedurals for decades and decades. Um he played Boris Karloff in Gods and Monsters which I think was his like biggest thing people people know him for but uh in an interview he once talked about how how much he loved working on this movie just because he liked the way that Sam Raimi directs. He thought he was mm-hmm. a very generous director and he said he desperately wanted to be in Spider-Man 2 even though he was killed in this one <laughs> spoilers and so like he called up Sam Raimi and was like I swear, I'll dye my hair. I'll wear a wig. I'll, you know, cut off my mustache. I'll even wear a dress, whatever. I'd just love to work with you again. And, um, and said Sam was really kind and they tried to find a, a little spot to fit him in, that they couldn't get it to work out. But I, I just love that image of, you know, Put me in anything. It was just so much fun. I don't care that Mr. Balkan died. I would love to do That's it. <laughs> Listen, that. That's great.
1: Listen, if he could keep bringing back Bruce Campbell in different roles in these movies, he could do the same thing for this
2: guy. <laughs> true. Maybe. <Yeah.
1: laughs> it's true. Well, uh, it really is an amazing IMDb, IMDb page where he's been doing stuff since the 50s. And, yeah. you know, and then he has, every now and then, he has these little. Runs on shows. He was on seven episodes of Power Rangers Lost Galaxy.
2: Yeah. Wow. Man. Why not?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, that's a sort. And I love actors like this. These sort of just working actors. And you're not gonna. Mm -hmm. It's unlikely after you get to a certain part in your career, if you have a certain look, that you being the lead guy. uh, Very few actors all of a sudden in their sixties, you know, say, hey, let's give him a run of you know above the title roles. But, uh, right. you know, but those actors who have not sort of need look, like he, he has a great look, you know, he's just really dignified and intense eyes. Uh, and oh, yeah. I, I'm always uh, fans of my uh, my uh, brethren and uh, gray hair.
2: So <laughs> we need them. We need to put gray haired dudes and stuff. Yeah. So. There's a niche that he, that he fills. He's
1: telling um, me, man. Just,
2: yeah. <laughs> Just like um uh, uh, Jerry Becker, who plays uh, Max Fargus, our um our sort of low rent Professor X guy, the bald man in the chair, who we have mentioned, there is just sort of a nice uh diversity and casting aspect of the fact that they never mention that Fargus is in a wheelchair. It's it's never like a plot point or anything. Uh, he's just one of the one of the guys there is in a wheelchair. That's just that's just how most Americans with disabilities live their life. It's just part a small part of their life. Um, and he was uh. On a few things, he was, like, recurring on Alley McBeal back in the day, another, like, working actor type guy. The thing I re- most remember him from was that he was in a few episodes of Angel, where he played, like, a, uh, a senior advisor at Wolfram and Hart, the evil, like, uh, law firm in Los Angeles uh, that Angel always has to deal with, with vampires and stuff. Oh. And he's um, he's the guy who, who like... There's, like, two main characters at the uh, evil law firm, uh, Lindsay and uh, uh, Lila, that we interact with a lot, mm-hmm. and, like, he's their boss in a few things. So we never know much about him, but, like, he's an even higher figurehead than the, like, the normal level of, like, scary demon lawyers we, we deal with. So I have a lot of love for any Buffyverse appearance, <laughs> so I always want to throw them into the huh. podcast when I see it. Uh, but, yeah, I like Max Vargas. I think it works. He's, he's like, a kind you know, business guy. He's like, yeah, I mean, we made these deals, but like that's that's just how the cookie crumbles, Norman. I'm sorry. Ugh. He
1: seems like an evil guy in the boardroom who's really nice to his grandkids.
2: Yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, another important type. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to, we'll ask you about, uh, your, your sort of overall, um, thoughts and memories from this movie, uh, in particular tomorrow, Brad, but what is your relationship with the character of Spider-Man? Do you remember your first exposure to him?
1: Yes. I remember when Spider-Man exposed himself to me. I was, uh, (laughs) a little weird like, kids stay there's certain parts of New York City you just, just stay out of um, <laughs> n- like most people uh, like a lot of kids uh, especially my age I w- would see like the old um, 60s era Spider-Man TV show they would run that on uh, cartoon they would show that on uh, TV yeah. a lot you know with the iconic mm-hmm. Spider-Man theme song uh, yeah. then I saw the uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends with uh, Iceman and Firestar mm-hmm. And I, I, always liked the costume, always thought it was cool the way he would climb walls and uh, web sling was, was always cool. But what bothered me is like, especially the Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, because it was a Saturday morning cartoon, they had, wouldn't have a lot of violence. So you would watch, uh-huh. I watched a hundred episodes of that show or however many there was, and Spider-Man never actually did anything. He would just sort of swing, web people up, they would break through the webs and he would be useless uh, <laughs> because he couldn't punch anybody. <laughs> Right. So, <laughs> so I liked so much of it, but and then I would see you, you uh, the the '70s era live action show that was on that was awful.
2: Yeah, yeah, the mm-hmm. shooting ropes out of his hands, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. and <laughs> again, whatever. So I I sort of, like everyone always had a cultural awareness, but then I was on a family vacation, a camping vacation in Maine. And I was ten years old, making my parents crazy. It was like, he, we, we gotta give him something to do. Uh, and they took me to <laughs> the the like the corner store at the campground. and there was an issue two sixty five of the amazing Spider-Man, and it was him fighting the Puma. And oh, cool. <laughs> the Puma isn't a great character, isn't one of his big rogues um but it was so awesome and I uh, probably was two, 257 257 so mm-hmm. and Sp- spider-man had gotten beat up by the puma the issue before his arm was hurt he had it in a like a web sling which he used to do all the time He always hurt his arm and like would make like a web sling and he's fighting the Puma mm-hmm. in this issue one-handed and he's jumping around he's he you he really It had the artwork by Ron Friends where you could see his agility and how fast he moved and how he was always, you know, how he's working so hard to make sure nobody got hurt. And that was so cool. And then the issue ended where Puma attacked Peter Parker, Spider Man, in his apartment while Mary Jane was there. Peter throws Mary Jane out of the apartment and then they go crashing through the window. And then Mary Jane (laughs) comes into the apartment and Peter's not there. At the end of the issue, Peter comes back to the apartment, forgetting that Mary Jane was in the apartment, and he's trying to come up with an excuse of why he all of a sudden like burnt, crashed out of the window without revealing <laughs> that he's Spider-Man. And she stops him, and it's this great melodramatic scene. Is like, I've known all along, you're the amazing Spider-Man, and this <gasps> great—you can almost hear dun 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 in the background. That's right. <laughs> so. That's so cool. It's okay. so cool. The artwork was so great. Uh, it was written by Tom DeFalco, who was a uh, the guy responsible for the Hobgoblin character. Yeah. And I was hooked because, I, you see, in the actual format of the comic book, Spider-Man was a butt kicker, and he was a guy who would fight. And he did. He it wasn't a guy who just swung around saying stupid things while Iceman and Firestar actually saved the day. Um, yeah. And. I got Spider-Man at that point, and that was that was the beginning of me getting into comics. I'm a huge, I grew up a huge comic book fan. Spider-Man was always my favorite character, and uh, it really started with that run. And it was just, uh, <laughs> I, I remember where I was, and I remember walking wow. into the store, my mom like buying basically just to shut me up. And uh, yeah, it was actually turned out being really important for me because I wasn't much of a reader at that point, and my mom was talking with a friend of hers. It's like, yeah, my son, he just won't read. And her friend says, like, what does he read? Have you ever tried comic books? She's like, yeah, he likes comic books, but that's not what I wanted to read. And her friend says, like, take him to a store, buy him as much as he wants, because that is a great way to get kids reading. And uh, Smash Cut, you know, I was 10 at that point. Smash Cut, I'm uh, 22 years old, graduating with an English degree. Yeah. Uh, right. A voracious reader. And... it it ended up really being a great opening into my life where like that was sort of like the, uh, the gateway reading to, uh, you know, what became a huge part of my life.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful. That's awesome. I I don't have anything to say. That's just, that's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really great. Uh, and it, you know, I guess Spider-Man wasn't, uh, he he wasn't only teaching people to read on electric company. (laughs) Um, Also in general, um, so, uh, so, Brad, tell people about, uh, I don't know, uh, Dealer's Choice, uh, which, well, which show do you want to talk, talk about? Let's talk
1: about Minute of Darkness because it ties in so much because it's a Sam Raimi, uh, also Sam Raimi-directed film, uh, and it's uh, similar to what you guys are doing here. We break down uh, Army of Darkness, a 1992 classic directed by Sam Raimi, starring Bruce Campbell, uh, minute by minute. We just recorded the last minute of the show. Uh, it hasn't, oh, wow. I, I don't know exactly when, how it'll line up with the, when this episode comes up, but we're, we're getting close to the end. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, me and my partner, Ryan, uh, have been having a great time doing it. It was a, a really good experience. Uh, both big fans of the movie, and uh, it was a really a, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it's a great time. We recommend that everyone check it out. Uh, it's Minute of Darkness. We're on iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, our Twitter page is. Uh, men of darkness uh and our website is minute all
0: right well we will be back tomorrow uh to talk about minute 65 uh and uh in the meantime if uh you want to go you know i i i we plug all of these uh all these shows but uh you know i'm gonna do it again <laughs> com, <Dualgenre.com>, of course <laughs> uh go listen to all of the the hard work that everyone's doing. I I just recently uh I was catching up on uh Ferris Bueller minute and um nice. it's uh it's really good. Um yeah. <laughs> they, it's it's a really good show. Uh if you like Ferris Bueller's day off, you should uh definitely be listening to that cuz it's it's a lot of fun and uh it's fun w- because one of the hosts just really <laughs> really doesn't like ferris um like <laughs> <laughs> like they, they like him fine but like you know it also they are like hey, he's kind of a he's kind of a jerk i don't you know but and, and irresponsible and blah, blah blah and and so like it's just a fun dynamic and yeah. uh i i definitely recommend it so go check out ferris bueller's minute off at uh, duelinggenre.com, uh, along with all of our other shows, and uh, and if you're in the market for uh, t-shirts and and merchandise, go to duelinggenre.com/slash/merch and check out our t-public store. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll start uh, putting uh, new Spider-Man Minute related uh, merchandise in there soon. Um, I just have to find the time to actually design the shirts. Um, <laughs> so uh, maybe I'll have someone else do that, and it'll actually get done. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all <Fair> right <laughs> well, uh, well we'll be back uh, we'll be back tomorrow uh, with Brad again and uh, to talk about uh, Minute 65 bye everybody bye, bye.